as Kirk had alluded to um, last week, we are going to be doing a series for about, about 12 weeks. Uh, the elders will be going through. We're going to be teaching on the Holy Spirit. And, and we hope to give you some clarity in Scripture on exactly who the Holy Spirit is. Uh, then cover areas like being born of the Spirit, what's it mean to be baptized in the Spirit, gifts of the Spirit, fruit of the Spirit, the sanctifying work of the Spirit, uh, testimonies of the Spirit, and even touch on some maybe some abuses, uh, especially in what we refer to as the charismatic circle. And when you hear the word charismatic, it just means people, sometimes people label people that believe in the, all the gifts that are here and today. We are a church that believes all the gifts are here for here, available for here and today. So sometimes that label charismatic gets placed upon them as well. And we see out there that there are charismatic abuses. And now in many Christian circles, there seems to be some misconceptions about uh, the Holy Spirit. And at times, some imbalances. And really, on, on both sides, we could say this. Um, on one side, not moving in the power of the Holy Spirit that we see throughout the scriptures. But then on the other side, um, unbiblical practices or what we might call charismatic excesses. And so what we would like to be known for here at Alliance Christian Center is a church that is both word and spirit. Right? Amen? Amen? That we are uh, people committed to the word of God at the same time moving in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we plan for the next 12 weeks, or as we do every week here, is plan to open up the Word of God and as best we can walk through the Scriptures to see what His Word has to say so we can be a church that seeks all the Holy Spirit has to offer a believer, but also a church who remains balanced by keeping within the safeguards of Scripture. And yes, the Scriptures does provide safeguards. There's a reason why we have an elder up front that as someone has a word, that it comes through them. Because we want to, Scripture commands us to do things with DC in order. There's a reason why you won't hear a tongue just blurted out. You know, because Scripture gives very clear instructions on how we deal with these charismatic gifts. And so, um, the first week, what I get to tackle is, uh, I get to tackle the, the, the easy topic of the deity and the personhood of the Holy Spirit. So give me just a second here, sorry. So, Two notes for today. First, um, this is extremely scripture-heavy. And, and I know you're probably thinking, well, every week's scripture-heavy. Amen, because we open up the Word of God and teach from the Word of God up here. But even more so. And, and so also, we will be repeating a handful of scriptures. So one scripture that's a proof text for one area might also be in another area, and possibly even a third area. But what I thought would be beneficial is that if we're going to talk about the deity and the person of the Holy Spirit... Uh, we really should start over, uh, off with a, a quick overview of the Trinity uh, and, and the first two persons of the Trinity, uh, the Father and the Son. And then we'll dive deeper into the third person, the person of the Holy Spirit. And, and I think it's important for us to know what the Word of God says about the Trinity, right? Because many of us have been raised to believe the Trinity. But the question is, can we actually give a biblical explanation for the Trinity and, and why we believe in this doctrine? And so what you'll see up on the screen here, like I said, excuse me, is a diagram that probably many of you are familiar with. A, a quick diagram of the Trinity. The, the Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not the Father. But the Father is God, the Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. And two comments about this diagram real quick. First, this is not really a diagram to fully explain every 
detail of the Trinity, as no one really can, but more to outline these truths that we see through Scripture. And to be honest with you, I hope to outline this today, but it's very clear in Scripture that these points that you see here, you will see, and I hope to illustrate that to you today, that very clear, the Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is not the Father, but yet somehow they are all God. And second, you could also say, you could say there's one essence being God in the middle, and maybe three uh, uh, persons, or you could say one what and three who's. You know, it's just ways we try to wrap our minds around this doctrine of the Trinity. And so, important thing to remember is the Trinity, this is a primary doctrine. There's a lot of secondary doctrines that, that we can, you know, come into agreement with and say, hey, we just agree to disagree with that church on this doctrine. We're still brothers and sisters in Christ. But this is one that we do not compromise on. And honestly, this is one that has been attacked the most throughout church history um, that you'll see. <clears throat> Also, many times, you guys hear analogies for the Trinity, right? What's one of those popular ones? Water. Water. It's H2O. Uh, and many of you have heard of this analogy that H2O, kind of exemplifying God, can be uh, water, steam, or ice. And many of you, like me, thought this analogy was perfect. Well, I was teaching probably about three years ago to my, to, to my kids, and, and I, I was given this illustration, to, and Wesley stops me and said, I said, isn't this a great illustration? He's like, well, Dad, there's a problem with that. And he went to explain to me, and he was exactly right. And I was like, oh, that is a problem. Uh, because on one hand, if you have the same H2O molecule, then that one molecule can only appear at one time as either water, steam, or ice. It can't be all three at once. And so uh, this would be called what we call modalism. Or modalism teaches that God doesn't exist as three distinct persons, but rather that he appears in three different modes. He is the Father when he needs to be, he's the Son when he needs to be, and he's the Holy Spirit when needed. And to be honest, there are some, there are some Pentecostal churches that teach this, there's some ap- apostolic churches that teach this. Uh, this would put them outside of historic Christianity. Or on the other hand, we treat these forms of H2O all as separate molecules, that they're you know, solid liquid gas. In that case, we have three different gods, right? We have polytheism, or a belief in more than one god. Again, obviously, as we know, not biblical. And, you know, there's the egg and all, all these different... I, I, I just kind of choose just not to... Just to re, let it remain a mystery, you know, as far as how I do that. But I do think there's some early creeds that really do a good job of explaining. You'll see on the screen here, I like the way the Athanasian Creed explains this. And what is this creed? This creed is named after Athanasius, and he fought against Arianism, which attacked the doctrine of the Trinity. This doctrine has been attacked all throughout church history. Uh, Arianism was an early church heresy that believed Jesus was a created being. And Athanasius fought against this during the the early 4th century. And this early creed said, this is the Catholic faith. Now let me pause for a second. When you hear the word Catholic, we're not talking about Roman Catholic here. Catholic in, in, in the early church just meant universal, the universal church. Okay? That we worship one God in Trinity, in the Trinity in unity, neither blending their persons nor dividing their essence. For the person of the Father is a distinct person, the person of the Son is another, and that of the Holy Spirit is yet another. But, and I love this part, but the divinity of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit is one, their glory equal, and their majesty co-eternal. I can say amen to that. And so even today, we see many groups that, that, that don't believe in the Trinity. For example, Jehovah's Witnesses. They believe Jesus was uh, created, and he's Michael, the archangel. They also believe that the spirit is a force and not an actual person. Uh, Mormons believe that Jesus was the first spirit child created of heavenly parents. 
and is the eldest brother to all God's children. And as Lorenzo Snow, the fifth president of the Church of Latter-day Saints, said, the Spirit revealed to him, and I quote, As man now is, God once was. As God now is, man may be. Blending, trying to create no distinction between God and us. And these are taken right from their websites. I'm, I'm not just spouting off something that I've heard somebody teach on. I got these directly from uh, their faith and practice websites. Uh, Muslims believe that Jesus was an important prophet, but not, not the son of God. And they quite often accuse Christians of being polytheistic because we, we, we believe in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I know this firsthand, and especially this is important because as we go out and preach the gospel, we are going to encounter people that believe differently than us. So I think it's good to have some of these things in our back pocket. We can say, no, this is what the Bible says. Uh, so, for example, uh, I've got a friend from college, uh, Tanim, who, a uh, good friend of mine, uh, wasn't very devout at that time in college, but when he went back to Bangladesh, he became a very devout Muslim. And two years ago, he, he's a, he's an evan- there's a lot of Muslims that are very evangelistic. And so he was very evangelistic on some of my posts, trying to convert me to Islam. And he was teach- and the first thing he attacked, and they're taught this, is to attack that you believe in polytheism. And so I very clearly explained what the Bible teaches, and then I quoted some Quran stuff at him, and we went back and forth for a minute. It got down to, Tanim, let me just ask you, how are you saved? <laughs> and usually that settles things, because most beliefs, or all beliefs out there, come back to a works-based salvation. We believe you can do no work to earn your way into heaven. And so one is Pentecostals, um, believe in a form of what you call Modalism. Not three distinct persons, but one God appears in three modes. So what do we believe as Christians? What do we believe? We believe first that the Bible teaches that we worship one God. We believe in monotheism. One God. And a few verses support this. I know we all know this, but a few to support it. You can see up on the screen. Do we not all have one Father? Is it not one God who has created us? Malachi 2.10. Ephesians 4.6. One God and Father of all who is over all, and through all, and in all. I really had to pause on that one. That's a tough one to read right there. And then James 2.19. You believe that God is one. You do well. The demons also believe and shudder. So we see very clearly that the Bible teaches that we believe in one God. One essence, or one what, if you will. Now let's look at the three distinct persons of the Trinity. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the verses that support how they are all God, but they are all distinct persons of the Godhead. We were singing about that today. Godhead, three in one, Father, Spirit, and Son. We worship to it. We, we praise him for who he is. And, and so to start, we have verses with all three persons in the same verse. Uh, and here's one example. Matthew three sixteen through 17. Many of you know this. After he was baptized, Jesus, there's one came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and settling on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, the Father, with whom I am well pleased. So we see very clearly all three persons in these passages. Now let's look quickly at the Father and Son. Then we're going to dive deeper into the Holy Spirit. So I'm just going to use one verse, one or two verses for the Father and Son so we can get into what we're going to be doing the next 12 weeks which that is the person of the Holy Spirit. So who is, the, who is the Father? And again, going back to that diagram that I showed you, the Father, first of all, he's not the Son. They are distinct persons. And we see John six thirty eight. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but the will of him 
who sent me. This is Jesus speaking. He's doing the will of the Father. So clearly the Son and the Father are two distinct persons in Scripture. We see that the Father is not the Holy Spirit. John 14, 26, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and remind you of all that I have said to you. So we see the Holy Spirit and the Father, and also we see all three persons in that, because that's Jesus saying that as well. But now we see that the Father is clearly God. Luke 23, uh, 34, But Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lives, dividing his garments among themselves. So let me ask you guys, who can forgive sin? Only God. Only God. God. You know us believe that? The scribes did. Mark 2, 7, the scribes said, why does he talk about Jesus? Why does this man speak that way? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins except God alone? God is the only one who can forgive sins. But that is attributed to the Father. Therefore, we can see very clearly that the Father is God. Now let's look at the Son. Let's start off. The Son is not the Father. We've already seen this verse. John 6, 38. For I've come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. The Son is not the Spirit. John 16, 7. But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I'm leaving. For if I do not leave, Jesus speaking, the Helper will not come. But if I go, I will send him to you. Who is the Helper? The Holy Spirit. So we see Jesus making a clear distinction between him and the Holy Spirit. So the Son is not the Holy Spirit. But then we clearly see that the Son is God. John 10, 30 through 33. We could stop just at the first verse and say, when Jesus said, I and the Father are one. But let's continue on. Then the Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus replied to them, I showed you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you stoning me? The Jews answered, we are not stoning you for a good work. Why were they stoning him? But for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself out to be God. There are some people that say that Jesus never clearly states himself to be God. And it's like, it's, it's clearly. Not only did Jesus state it, but he was saying it so clearly that the Jews knew it. Because they were going to stone him. Because why do you stone someone under the old law? For blasphemy, for claiming to be God. And so not only did Jesus believe it, but his audience believed it. So it's very clear in scripture that Jesus is God. Let's go to another one. Matthew 9, 2. And they brought, him, uh, brought to him a paralyzed man lying on a stretcher and seeing their faith. Jesus said to the man who was paralyzed, take courage, son. What's it say? Your sins are what? Forgive. Who forgives sins? God. And some of the scribes, and they, they knew what he was doing. And some of the scribes said to themselves, this man is what? Blasphemy. I want to be done to God, blaspheming. So, I think we, we kind of clearly showed throughout Scripture the first two persons of the Trinity. So, uh, let's take a, a little deeper look into the person of the Holy Spirit. And, and, and starting just word, with the word spirit in Scripture. In the Old Testament, we see it's the Hebrew word ruach. And, and, and that word in the Old Testament, you can see it, it sometimes means spirit, sometimes means wind, sometimes means breath. And so Genesis 1, 1 through 2, we see in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and desolate emptiness. 
And darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit, the Ruach of God, uh, was hovering over the surface of the waters. So we see very clearly that Ruach is used there as Spirit. Genesis 8.1 But God remembered Noah and all the animals and all the livestock that were with him in the ark, and God caused a great wind, a Ruach, uh, to pass over the earth, and the water subsided. So we see very clearly that the Holy Spirit is wind there. Or, or see, I say the word ruach is used as, as uh, uh, wind. And then Job 27.3, For as long as life is in me, the breath, the ruach of God, is in my nostrils. So we see that the, that word spirit is used there in the sense of breath. And I think that's important to pause there for a second. Because when we hear God breathing on anything, what happens? Life. Life. We see that in the creation account in Genesis 2, man from the dirt, what did he do? <laughs> Breathed into his nostrils and he became a what? A living soul, a living being. We see Job referencing it here too. But it's important in the context of what we're going to be talking about when we talk about the Holy Spirit as we also see in John 20, 22, and we'll get to that here in just a second. And in the New Testament, in the, in the Greek, it's the word pneuma. And this can mean in the New Testament, it just means spirit. Sometimes it can be referring to God's spirit, man's spirit, or even an evil spirit. And so we see both right here in Romans 8, 16. The spirit himself, talking about God's spirit, testifies with our spirit, man's spirit, that we are children of God. So we see those two there. And then Mark 5, 8, for he had already been saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. You unclean pneuma. It's the word pneuma there. But we also see spirit associated with wind or air or the very breath of God. And so John 20, 22. And when he had said this, he what? He breathed on them. What happens when breath comes from God? Life. The very life. And so he breathed on them and said to them, Receive. So not only did he breathe on them, but he also said, receive the Holy Spirit. So I th every one of the disciples, except for Thomas, was not there. But what does, what, I, I would very convincingly say that I believe that that was there when they were born again, right? When they received the Spirit. This, they, they became alive in Christ. They became a new creation. When God breathes, what happens? Life. Yes. So, and they receive life by receiving the Holy Spirit. Now, words today, like uh, pneumonia. It's kind of funny. We had a restroom talk about pneumonia earlier today. But uh, it's funny that came up. Uh, but guys have great conversations in the restroom, by the way. Uh, <clears throat> so pneumonia or pneumatic nail gun. Uh, what is pneumonia? Pneumonia is an infection that impacts what? The airways, right? It's airways. What about a pneumatic nail gun? Philip, Luke, all you, all you handy people out there? Right, it's air-powered. It's an instrument that is air-powered. So we still, still use that way as well today. So with the other persons, with the, the father and the son, uh, we looked at the, 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 um, the, uh, the, we looked at the person first. With the Holy Spirit, we're going to look at the deity first because I want to end with the person of the Holy Spirit because that's going to set the stage for the weeks to come. And so very clearly... Very clearly, and like I said, I'm going to beat this over the head with a little bit more scripture here. We can see that the Spirit is very clearly God throughout scripture. 
Look up on the screen there. 2 Peter 1.21. For no prophecy. Now let me pause there. The context of that word prophecy, just the previous verse, Peter is talking about the Holy Scripture. So when he's saying no prophecy, no scripture essentially, was ever made by an act of human will, but men move by who? The Holy Spirit. And when they're moved by the Holy Spirit, they what? They speak, they spoke from God. So we see a clear association linking the Holy Spirit and God together. 1 Corinthians 6.19 Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own. Again, we go back to the Old Testament. We look at the, the portable tabernacle, the temple, in the holiest of holies, the most holy place where the presence of God dwelt. The word is now saying that we are that temple, collectively and individually. Because why? Because we now house the presence of God. How do we house the presence of God? Through the person of who? The Holy Spirit, exactly. Acts 5, 3 through 4. If those other ones didn't get you, let's go with this one. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to who? The Holy Spirit. Let's go down a few lines there. Verse 4, the end of verse 4, it says, Why is it that you have not conceived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to who? So lying to the Holy Spirit is lying to God. Very clearly showing that the Holy Spirit is God. Mark 3, 29 through 30. But whoever blasphemes, there's that word, blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an internal, eternal sin. Because they were saying, he has an unclean spirit. And so these passages about blasphemy, again, as I already alluded to, are going back to Leviticus, especially Leviticus 24, 16. Moreover, the one who blasphemes the name of the Lord must be put to death. All the congregation shall certainly stone them. Typically, when you see the Jews accusing someone of blasphemy, what are they picking up right afterwards? Stones, right? Because of this. Because of the law. They were commanded to do this. And for those of you that hear that verse, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, and you're concerned that you've ever done it, let me just assure you, if you have concern you've done it, I can say very confidently that you haven't. But I know, I think, um, I think Rayo is going to be teaching on it and coming up here in one of these weeks to give you a little bit more, expand upon that passage, what's actually being talked about there. So rest, rest easy if you're concerned about it. Uh, <clears throat> we would also say that just like the Father and Son, the Holy Spirit has always coexisted with the Father and the Son. Again, going back to Genesis 1-2, we see in the creation account, who's hovering over the waters? The Spirit of God, exactly. So I think that's very clearly demonstrating the, the, the deity of the Holy Spirit. Let's close with the person. And when I say close, I still got two more pages. So it's a long closing. <laughs> so first, the Spirit is not the Father. And we've seen this already. John 14, 26. But let me give you another one. Romans 8, 26 through 27 says, Now in the same way, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what to pray for as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Now this is where I put in parentheses to give us some clarity because sometimes you read through this like, who's the he in this verse? You know, and sometimes it can get a little confusing. But look what it says. And he, we can see that that's the Father because it's the Father who searches the mind. He knows the mind of the Spirit. Okay, so this is the Father who knows the mind of the Spirit because now we'll see that he is a Spirit. And the reason why we know that is because he 
intercedes. What did the previous verse just say? Who is interceding for us? The Spirit. So we can see that this is going back to the Spirit now. So the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So again, clearly two distinct persons. The Spirit is not the Father. The Spirit is not the Son. Verse we've already talked about, John 16, 7. But I tell you the truth, it is your advantage that I'm leaving. For if I do not leave, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And again, the Spirit is not the Son. So there, there's a reason why, historically in Christianity, we've always said the, the, the person or the personhood of the Holy Spirit. Now, naturally, we're fine saying the Father and the Son are persons, right? Because the, in, their, in their names, the Father, Son, they are personified. But sometimes we struggle a little bit with the Holy Spirit, if we're honest, uh, realizing that the Holy Spirit is a person of the Trinity. And, and so, uh, because a lot of times he's described in certain ways, like um, wind or water or fire, we see even a dove, and things like that. Something impersonal. But the Spirit is not just a force or something God unleashes at times. He's not like electricity that God turns on and off when needed. So why do we say the person of the Holy Spirit? Well, first, the word, let's look at the word pneuma. Now, pneuma in the Greek, the word, the noun, it's actually a neutered noun. And what that means is not male or female. It's not masculine or feminine. It's a neutered noun. But yet, but yet, the Spirit is referred to quite often throughout the Scripture as what? A he. So the Bible itself, it uses a pronoun to describe that noun. He. So the Bible itself personifies the Holy Spirit. Proof right here. I don't need anything else. John, John 16, uh, 13 through 14. Count with me how many times referring to the Holy Spirit, he uses the word he. But when he, how many is that? One. One. The Spirit of truth comes. He, two. two, will guide you in all truth. For he will not speak of his own, but whatever he hears, he will speak. He will disclose. He will glorify. He will take from mine. Eight times the Spirit is personified as a he. So the scripture teaches that the Holy Spirit is a person. The Bible teaches us to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Which shows the Holy Spirit is a distinct but equal person like the Father and the Son. Lastly, and you'll see the slides up here, the next one. The Bible also describes the Holy Spirit as having human attributes. Right? Personhood What's that? Personhood attributes. Yes, personhood attributes. Yes, very good. Personhood attributes. And so we see Isaiah 63, but they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit, we see, can be grieved. Ephesians 4.30. Do not, What? Grieve the Holy Spirit. Can you grieve a, a chair? Can you grieve a stone? Can you grieve a, a microphone? Can you grieve my shirt? My shirt might grieve you, but... <laughs> Actually, I just bought this the other day, so... It's, uh, oh, it's nice. Um, and so, he can be lied to. We saw it in first, uh, Acts 5.3 with Peter. Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart? To lie to the Holy Spirit. The Spirit speaks. Right? Then the Spirit said to Philip, go up and join this chariot. 
Acts 10, 19 through 20. While Peter was reflecting on the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you, but get up, go downstairs, and accompany them without misgivings, for I have sent them myself. So very clearly, the Spirit speaks. How does he speak in that regard? I don't know. I'm not sure. But very clearly, says that he spoke. The Spirit, we see, helps create. Going back to Genesis 1-2. The Spirit leads. Romans 8-14. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons and daughters of God. The Spirit helps us teach. Help, Spirit helps, teaches, and reminds. Again, John 14-26. We've covered this a few times. But the Helper, who's the Helper? The Holy Spirit. So he's obviously a helper if he's described as that, right? So he's a helper. He helps. The Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name, he will what? Teach. He teaches. And he will remind, right? Remind of all that I've said to you. So we see there, he creates, he leads, he helps, teaches, and reminds. And the last, you can see the Spirit convicts. John 16, 8. A lot of Johns, right? John is, John, you, you go through what you call the synoptic gospels, the similar, it's a fancy word for saying similar gospels, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and you know, they're addressed to, you know, Matthew's a little Jewish focused, Mark, they say, might have been written to people in Rome, uh, Luke is a Gentile, uh, and, and so John is written to everyone because it's about the deity of Christ, you know, it's all, so that's why you see me quoting a lot of verses from the book of John. John, John is, you want to learn about the deity of Christ, go through the book of John. And so we see John 16, 8, and when he comes, we'll convict the world regarding sin, righteousness, and judgment. So we see conviction. The Spirit guides and hears, John 16, 13. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will what? Guide. guide. So he guides you into all, he'll guide you in what? He'll guide you into all truth. We, we, do we need guidance in, in, in all truth? Yeah. <laughs> Especially in a today, in a society where it seems like it's really hard to discern truth. It's hard to discern real from, from fake and, and everything else. Well, we have, we have the truth, and we have someone that's guiding us into all truth. For he will not speak on his own, but whatever he what? hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. And again, you see, he will speak as well. Lastly, the Spirit distributes gifts and has a will. Now, I can imagine... In the weeks leading up with our elders teaching on this, that 1 Corinthians 12 is going to come up a few times, right? But we see 1 Corinthians 12, 11, but one of the same spirit works all these things. What's he do? Distribute to each one individually, just as what? Just as he wills. So the spirit has a will. So, the last slide you'll see. If I said something can be grieved, can be lied to, speaks, creates, leads, helps, teaches, reminds, convicts, gives gifts, and has a will, what would you say that something is? Person, right? A person. This is why we say the personhood of the Holy Spirit, because we see it illuminated all throughout the scriptures. So hopefully this gives you a good base uh, today for who the Holy Spirit is. 
Um, especially the person of the Holy Spirit, because as I said, the next 10, 11, 12 weeks as we go through this, we will be covering various aspects of the Holy Spirit, which for the most part, we'll be speaking of the person of the Holy Spirit and his role in our lives as believers. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, just, we thank you that we get to come before you every day, Lord. We get to come before you uh, on Sundays as a, as a church family and, and just open up your word and learn and grow. And, and knowing that your Holy Spirit is, is guiding us and teaching us and reminding us and convicting us and, and all the things. that Your Spirit is very real and active, Lord. Let us all, Lord, myself included, Lord, sometimes, for lack of a better word, I undersell the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord. Teach us, Lord. Teach us to, 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 to stay within your word. But, Lord, teach us to move in power, Lord. Because we need the power of the Holy Spirit. We need to, you know, we, we need to see healings. We need to see these things that you say that as we go out and preach the gospel, Lord, that these things will follow. But ultimately, Lord, it, it's all, as your spirit does, always testifies about Jesus and what he did for us, Lord. You always bring us back to remember, as Pete even talked about with, last week with, with uh, communion, Lord, reminding us, reminding us of what you did and how much you love us, Lord. Lord, bless our time today as we go throughout, Lord. Let us be a light. Let the Holy Spirit, let us yield to your Holy Spirit, Lord, uh, to, to do whatever you ask us to do, Lord, that we would be guided, that we would be empowered, and we would have a boldness that we see throughout the, the Church of Acts a boldness to pro- preach and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to all nations, tribe, and tongue. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.